12 rounds is a long time to stay on your feet. It feels like a lifetime. But you've trained, you've conditioned, you've put in the work, you've sacrificed, and you've pushed. You've taken some hard hits, and you've thrown a few of your own. You've been against the ropes, and you've fought your way out. But eventually, you get knocked down, and you feel like throwing in the towel, and the 10 count starts. One, two, but with 12 rounds, there's still time for a comeback. If you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. I don't think it's by any accident that we're starting this series this day. Four months ago, uh, God gave me a burden for this, this particular uh, sermon series. Um, I started putting the, the, the pieces together, the outline together. As many of you know, because of sermon-based life groups and some of the other things that we do here, that my sermons have to be prepared way in advance to get curriculum done and some of the other things. And so God gave me this burden just, for, just to talk to you about, about this issue of an imperfect family about this issue of navigating life when you're walking through like some dysfunctional things or how do you how do you survive a dysfunctional family and so over the next seven weeks we're going to look at this series we're calling the comeback because joseph when you look at joseph's life joseph was raised in an unbelievable dysfunctional family his family had all kinds of dysfunction running through it, and we're going to look at that in a few moments, and you're going to understand that. And so, but out of, out of this family comes Joseph, and Joseph came, and he, he was promoted to like, like the, the prime minister, one of the most prominent positions of his land. And so Joseph was able some way, somehow to overcome the dysfunction of his past. In other words, Joseph didn't live in the past, and Joseph didn't live in the dysfunction of his past, but he was able to come through it. Now listen, when you look at Joseph's adult years, you, you, you can sum up his, his life in like one word, just faithful. Joseph was this guy that was faithful. I mean, faithfulness or faithful, however you want to say that. Joseph was faithful to God with every situation in difficulty and reconciliation and conflict. And you see this in, in, in Joseph's life, that Joseph was this man that remained faithful to God his entire life. See, there's something about being emotionally healthy or emotional, healthy spirituality. It's about coming to the place where you just, you come to terms or you're okay with, with the place where you were born, the family that you were born into, maybe the circumstances around your, your birth or the time and the place and to where you just come to that place to where you're, you're like okay with it. But, here, <coughs> but here's the truth. Depending on the family that, that you were born in, um, you can come out of that family with, with what, what some call emotional baggage, right? And for, for, for some, that emotional baggage was light. For some, it was just like, it was like this carry-on. It was like really no big deal. It was some minor stuff. And you came out of your family with some, just some light emotional baggage. But there's, but there's some of us that you came out of a family and it, your emotional baggage wasn't light at all. Fact is, your emotional baggage was heavy. 
and your emotional baggage. You, you, I mean, you had one bag right after another, and it was heavy, and it weights you down, but you've been carrying it for so long, you've come to the place to where you believe it's just normal. That this is this is this this is normative. I mean, this is this is my lot in life, and this is how you live life, and and everybody has this much emotional baggage. But but see, here's the issue: true spirituality frees us up to no longer live in the past, but to live in the present. In other words, true spirituality and discipleship is coming to this place to where we're able, whatever our emotional baggage is, that we're able to like unpack it and find find uh, find find peace in it. And to where we, we move on to the future. See, the heart of discipleship is this. It's, it's breaking free of the destructive patterns of the past. See, this is Joseph's life. Joseph was able to break free from the destructive patterns of his family. The destruction, destructive patterns that had been hand, handed down generation after generation after generation in his family. Here's the crazy thing about just, just a biblical term. And it's a biblical, biblical term, family. See, when we, when we look at the word family, we kind of view family as, well, that's, that's kind of our immediate family. It, it may be, you know, brothers and sisters and mother and father. It may be grandfather and grandmother. And for us, it's just like this immediate family. And it's just, it's, 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 it's a small nucleus. It's like one generation and maybe two. But biblically, whenever you see the word family in the Old Testament, it went back three to four generations. I mean, it went back it, for us. Your family, biblically, in the Old Testament, this is to help you understand Joseph's life and, and Joseph's family and the influence of his family in his life. So for us, it'd be like family, biblically, that, that, that's our mother, our father, our aunt and uncle, our, our great-grandmother, our great-grandfather, our great-aunts, our great-uncle. That would be our great-great-grandfather, our great-great-grandmother, great-great-aunts, great-great-uncles. Fact is, for us, family goes all the way back to the 1800s. And so all of a sudden you begin seeing how family now, generation after generation, can, can affect us. And, and for some reason, we, we can see that in Scripture, right? We can see, even see that in life. We can see one generation handing off things, destructive patterns, and sometimes off from one generation to the next. I mean, we, 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 can, we can observe that. We can observe that the consequences of the, of the actions of the generation before, uh, prior to us can give us consequences in our life that we have to work through. I mean, for this reason, we can just observe in, in certain patterns that are handed down from one generation to the next whether it's divorce or whether it's alcoholism or whether it's an addictive behavior, whether it's sexual abuse or physical abuse or, or, or verbal abuse or whether it's poor marriages or, or splits in a family and one child running off or it's mistrust of authority or it's pregnancies out of wedlock or it's an instability to, to sustain um, stable relationships and stable marriages or it's, or it's perfectionism or it's workaholism or it's, or it's the way someone ha handles anger. It's just, it's, just like, it's just like full on. Now listen, let's, let's leave this debate up to the scientists and to the sociologists. Scientists and sociologists have had this argument, this running debate, for like almost from the beginning of time, right? And so they'll, 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 they'll wonder, is this nature or is this nurture? Is this nature from your DNA, or is this nurture from your family or for your environment? So let's leave that discussion and that argument up to them because you know what? They'll never figure it out, and they'll never agree. And the, the Bible doesn't even talk about this. You know what the Bible says when the Bible relates the, the, the one generation handing down something else to the next generation? The Bible would just say it's just one of the 
one of the mysteries of the law of God. It's just, it's just, it's just a mystery. But, but here, here's the good news. The good news is Christianity is that your family of origin does not have to determine your future. The good news of, of spirituality, the good news of, of Christianity, the good news of becoming a follower in Christ is this, is that your family origin, your family DNA does not determine your future. See, the discipleship at, at its core is this issue of, of putting, old the, putting off of the old self, putting off of the old sinful patterns and, and putting on the new in the presence of Christ and that we're a new creation and that we're being transformed by him. But, but here's the truth. If we're honest, our family influences, right? Now, we, we can see that. I can see it in my life, and probably you can see it in your life. Some traits and characteristics of, of parents and grandparents. It can be true in your life if you, if you haven't broken free of that. And so I, I have a little, little saying, and I'll flesh this out. It just helps me remember it. Maybe it'll help you. And it's just simply this. Uh, Jesus may be in your heart, but Grandpa is in your bones. In other words, there's something about your family DNA that is in your bones, right? I mean, Jesus may be in your heart, and you may be a believer. But guess what? Grandpa may still be in your bones, or your mother may still be in your bones, or your dad may be still in your bones. I mean, has that ever happened to you, right, in a family discussion? And you probably shouldn't bring this up, but you look at someone and says, you sound just like your mother. I wouldn't recommend that, right? Or you sound just like your dad. Or you notice there's some traits. Or a lot of times, you know what happens in these? Because here's what happens. The reason a lot of Christians don't move forward in this and don't break free from the past is because they just kind of excuse it away. I mean, in other words, this issue of blame, like blaming it on a dad or blaming it on a mom or blaming it on a grandparent is a subtle way for us to say, I'm not even responsible for this. I mean, I mean, it's the way I was raised. This is the way my family processed anger. This is the way my, my, my family processed hurt. This is the way my, my family handled these situations. You know I got this from, you know, I'm just like, and all of a sudden when we start blaming, see, that's why Christians never break free many times of the past is because they never take responsibility for their actions. They never take that responsibility. And it's just a subtle way of saying I'm not responsible. But see, in Christ, Christ gives us the ability to come to the place to where we no longer have to respond like we would have our family origin, but we respond like in our new family, in Christ's family, in a Christian family. And so the Bible would say, you know what, a dysfunctional family, just a definition is one that is, that, is, that, is, that is operating in a way that God did not intend. So guess what? That makes every one of us in a dysfunctional family, right? No such thing as a perfect family. There's no such thing as a family that's dis, that is not at some level dysfunctional. So this morning in the time that I have with you, I just simply want to go through quickly just three things of how Joseph overcame a dysfunctional family. And I'm going to read to you and I'm going to help you understand that I'm telling you, I picked, so interesting, two reasons, and we'll get to the second reason later. I picked one of the most dysfunctional families in Scripture and said, you know what, let's just start there. Let's walk through a dysfunctional family in Scripture, how one person stepped out of that, broke free of that, and maybe it, maybe it will help us. And so the first thing is this, is Joseph, this first principle, Joseph overcame an imperfect family. Joseph was not raised in a perfect family, so Joseph was able to overcome an imperfect family. Genesis chapter 37, verse 1 and 2, uh, here, here's what the scripture says. Jacob, okay, so Jacob is Joseph's dad. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. 
Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billi and Zilpah, his father's wives. So now all of a sudden, you're, you know, you see polygamy. Guess what? Uh, don't, God never said that was okay in the Old Testament, just so we're clear. <laughs> and then the next, next sentence is, And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their, their father. And so all of a sudden, you see the beginnings of like a soap opera. Uh, you may think that, 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 that someone is making this up when you start walking through the dysfunction of the family. But you can see this exactly in Scripture. You see, Jacob, Jacob was jo Joseph's dad. Joseph's dad had four wives that produced 12 sons. Just real quickly, it's so fascinating. We don't have time to unpack this. The, the 12 sons, you know who they were? 12 tribes of Israel. Came out of a dysfunctional family. I mean, w wouldn't you think that if God was going to choose a, a people, to, people group to make himself known, a people who would be a blessing to the whole world, who would guard his name and guard his reputation, who would eventually give the world the Messiah, Jesus, a Savior, he would choose another family? Don't you think he would look for a more perfect family? And I just tell you this, God loves dysfunctional families. And God loves dysfunctional people because it's only he that can change them. It wasn't about them. is what he could do through them. And so the question that you have and the question that I have, will you let God show you how he can bring good out of any family situation? Will you allow God to show you and help you to break free of those patterns of the past to where he can show you how he can bring good out of a bad situation? So back to Joseph. Joseph is like son number 11. And so he's the first child of Rachel. Rachel was, was, uh, was his dad, was Jacob's favorite wife. He was the wife that, that Jacob loved. Now listen, you can see in Jacob's life, and I could take, if we had time this morning, I could go back four generations and I could chart out for you all the, all the issues that were handed down one generation after another. The common threads, maybe you and your family, I can in my family. I can tell you the common threads. I can tell you the actions, the consequences, the things, the habits, the sin. I can take that and go through the generations in my family, and I can show you the common threads that was just like a reoccurring theme in our family. And Joseph's family was the same way. And so when you look at this, Joseph was, was, was son number 11. He was born to Rachel. Rachel was his mom. That was Jacob's favorite. But Jacob, Jacob had a fight with his brother. And see, when, when you look in Scripture, you realize that when you look at, at Jacob's family and you go back, it was one broken relationship after another. It was one fight after another. Uh, the, the deception was in their family. Manipulators were in their family. And, I mean, you see this. It's, it's a reoccurring theme. So Jacob has a fight with his brother. As a result of that, he, he leaves. Uh, there's a split in the family. He goes and gets a job from, his, from, from a relative, Uncle Laban. So Jacob is with Uncle Laban. Uh, he's single at the time. He's working for Uncle Laban. He works for him for about four weeks. Laban comes to him and said, said Jacob, what, how can I pay you for this work? I haven't been paying you. We haven't talked about compensation. I just gave you a place to live. I gave you a job. How can I pay you? And Joseph said this. He says, well, you know what? I am in love with your youngest daughter. That's important. He says, I am in love with your youngest daughter, Rachel. So I would like her hand in marriage. See, Jacob, uh, uh, Laban had two daughters. Leah was the oldest. Rachel was the youngest. And so, so he said, I would like to marry Rachel. 
Laban being the manipulator, the deceiver, and there's a reason for this. We'll look at this. Laban says, fine, work for me for seven years. At the end of seven years, I'll give you, I'll give you my daughter to you and in marriage. Jacob agrees. And watch this. This is kind of like, this is kind of like, you know, in the, in the Lifetime original movie or the Hallmark movie. It's like, it's like that moment that everybody goes, oh, I mean, that's just so sweet. It's like that Hallmark moment. Watch this when Jacob expresses his love to it about Rachel, Genesis chapter 29, verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. I mean, he loved her. He worked seven years for her, saving up, preparing, and all of those other things. And for him, it seemed like three days. You know why? Because of his deep love for her. He worked for her for, for seven years. It came time for the wedding. There's a couple of things you got to know about their culture. you got to know to this story. Uh, the first thing is this. It was, it was the custom of their day that the oldest daughter always married first. But there's a problem. Leah, single. Rachel is the younger, and she's the one that, that Joseph wants to marry. Now, Leah had, like, no prospects. There are no prospects on the horizon. Uh, Laban's nervous that she's probably never going to get married. Laban is a manipulator. He's a deceiver. And so no self-respecting Jewish man in their culture would allow the youngest daughter to marry before the oldest daughter. And so Laban knew all this when he went into this agreement. The second thing is this. Their weddings always happened at, at night. And so they didn't have electricity. They didn't have lights like we do. Uh, it was mainly torches and candlelight. Not only that, the, the, the bride would wear heavy, heavy veils and multiple layers, and, and, and it was even, even hard to, um, to recognize her. So, so Laban, Jacob's future father-in-law, arranged for Jacob to marry not Rachel, but Leah. The wedding happens. Jacob, I mean, Joseph wakes up that next morning on his honeymoon, you know, on the cruise to the Caribbean. And he realizes he has not married Rachel, he has married Leah. Jacob agrees to work seven more years for Rachel. This seemed but days to him. In him, and Rachel marries, and now he has two wives. He has, at this point, he has Leah, he has Rachel. And can you imagine... Can you imagine the conflict in the home? Leah was jealous of Rachel because not only did she know that he was the one that her husband loved the most, she was prettier than her. Rachel became jealous and envious of, of Leah because Leah soon gave Jacob four sons and Rachel was barren. She could not have children at the time. So to compensate, things get worse. I mean, this is like a Jerry Springer moment. Those are you that are old enough to know who that is. If not, you know, ask the Google. That's what the Google's for. Not now, but ask. So, so to compensate, Rachel told Jacob, since I cannot give you a child, I want you to go sleep with my servant girl, Billa, and she will be a surrogate mother, and we will adopt her children as our own. Jacob says, okay. And so, and so they had, he passively agreed, and so now they have children with her. So not to be outdone... Because you got competition between two sisters, not to be outdone. Leah talked Jacob into having two more uh, sons with his servant girl, Zilphi. 
And so now Jacob has, he has four wives, ten sons, one daughter, no children born to his favorite wife, Rachel. And finally, Rachel gives, or finally, God gives Rachel a son by the name of Joseph. And, 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 and she's the one named him Joseph because he takes my shame away. And so now, now Joseph is born into this family. And so can you imagine the turmoil that existed in, in, in the home as Joseph was growing up? He had, a, he had a grandfather that was a cheat, that was a manipulator, a mother who was in competition with her sister. Uh, they were married to the same man. They were always fighting. There were two servant girls needing attention uh, for their children. And so you listen, you can call this a blended family if you would like, but I'm telling you, nothing was blending in this family, right? And then Jacob had a falling out. This ran through their family. Jacob had a falling out with their father-in-law. So Jacob packed up everything, and he hit the road. You see this all through there. He hits the road and moves out. There were threats, and there were exchanges and, and between the two. And Joseph, you know, he heard all that. He saw that. He was exposed to that. All of the insecurities that came in his life as a result of that, and so they move. His mother becomes pregnant. Rachel becomes pregnant again. Joseph is about 10 or 11 years of age at this time. She has a son named Benjamin. And in childbirth, Joseph's mom dies. And now Joseph is left without a mother. Turmoil in the family between aunts and uncles and, and grandparents. And he's living, in a, he's living in a strange land. No friends, no relationship. How could anybody be faithful in an environment like that? And Joseph's father made a number of mistakes along the way before Joseph was ever born. And they would all affect Joseph. And Joseph did not grow up with perfect parents. But he was able to overcome the imperfections of his past. The second thing that Joseph happened to Joseph, Joseph overcame sibling rivalry. Joseph overcame sibling rivalry, all, all of the competition, all of the dynamics in the family that happened uh, because of that. And so it should come as no surprise to us that, that, that there was terrible con, uh, competition, uh, competition in the family because they were all vying for the love and the acceptance of a dad. I mean, you, br you bring together 12 sons and one daughter from four different mothers, and, and there's going to be constant bickering. And so the sons of Leah, the sons of Leah knew knew their dad, didn't really love their mother. He loved Rachel more. And down deep, they knew that they weren't his favorite either. I mean, this was like a highly explosive situation. And so Jacob, Jacob Factus, did not conceal the fact that he loved Joseph was the favorite. He loved Joseph more than any of the other children. And so now you've got this volatile situation. You've got this explosive situation. And to make matters worse... Not only did Jacob not conceal that Joseph was a favorite, Joseph did not try to conceal that he was, a, he was the father's favorite. Genesis 7, 37, 3 says, Now Israel, so that's just another word for Jacob, another title. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. And so this robe of many colors, it was reserved for someone of, of prominence, it was really reserved for royalty. 
It was really reserved for, for, for prime ministers, for kings, for people in, in authority. It was totally inappropriate for someone else to, to wear it. And so Joseph, at a young age, his dad makes him this, this coat. And, 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 I mean, it was a distinctive coat. Whenever someone wore this coat, I mean, it was a distinctive coat that they were, they were a pretty special person. Uh, maybe the closest thing we would have in our day may be like a tux. That when someone wears a tux, you know that they're going to a special event. They may be a VIP. They may be a special person. But it is a highly important event. So maybe for us, it would be, it would be, it, it'd be like a tux. But, but, but here's the issue. Jacob did not conceal the fact. Fact is, he flaunted it with the other kids that guess what? I love Joseph more than any of you other guys. Joseph is my favorite. Listen, you know this. Anytime parents show favoritism. In fact, is you see this all the way through Jacob's family, generation after generation after generation. Anytime, anytime a parent shows favoritism to one child, it always fans the flames of sibling rivalry, sibling competition. You know why? Because... Because they're fighting for the same love and affection that that parent is giving to their brother or sister. I mean, can you imagine buying school clothes for one child? And, and for one child, you're buying school clothes, and it's, it's like all designer clothes. And it's, it's the Nike logos or, and, and, and all designer clothes. And then for the other kids, you're buying the no-name no, no stuff. You're buying the generic stuff. Or one child at the age of 16 gets a bicycle, another child gets a sports car. It is wise parents who recognize that you cannot treat all your children alike, but you can love them equally. And the problem was, Jacob was being, Joseph was being raised in a house where they did not love the children equally. Joseph was the favorite, and he didn't make any effort to cover it up, and his dad didn't make any effort to cover it up, and Joseph got all of the best clothes. Joseph got all the designer clothes. Joseph's the one that got the sports cars and all the toys and the four-wheelers and everything at the age of 16, and the other kids just got, got like bicycles. Joseph was the one around the house that got the easiest jobs. He didn't have the tough jobs. To make matters worse, than, to make matters worse, when they did chores around the house and the boys are out there in their overalls and the boys are out there in their jeans and their boots and their work clothes, Joseph comes strutting out. You know what he's wearing? He's wearing the tucks. The scripture says he wore that everywhere, just reminding his brothers that I'm the favorite. Can, can, I just, can I just stop for a second and just say a word to step-parents and, and grandparents that you already know? May I just lovingly remind you to distribute love equally? Man, this is difficult, but it goes a long ways to the well-being of the child that needs to know that we're loved equally. I love the, the story of a second-grade school teacher told us, and uh, she, had, she had two little girls in her class, and the little girl came to her and says, Hey, my sister and I, we're in the same grade. Uh, we're, we're the same age, but we're not twins. One of us is adopted, and we don't know which one. That's distributing love equally. And it's the kind of equal expression of love that builds a godly home. 
that builds security in people. And Joseph himself, listen, in his early years, he struggled. He struggled with pride. He struggled with arrogance. Uh, he, he knew he was his dad's favorite, and Joseph was afraid that he would ever lose that place. And as a result of that, he flaunted it all of the time. Joseph did a few things that, that made it difficult for in the family. The first, first one is this. I read the scripture, verse 2. It says that Joseph told on his brothers frequently. Nobody likes a tattletale, right? But Joseph did not want to lose his, his father's love. He did not want to lose being the favorite. He did not want to lose the place of prominence. So Joseph was manipulated. Because see, this is what happens in families when love is not shown equally. Joseph did not want to lose that place. Joseph knew, he understood that, you know what? The way you get the Father's love is by performance. It is not unconditional. It is conditional. As a result of that, Joseph did not want to lose that place in his family. So he constantly told on his brothers. Everything his brothers did wrong, he made sure dad knew. The second thing is he wore the coat a lot. Everywhere he went, he wore that tux. It was just a reminder to him, a reminder to his dad, and a reminder to his brothers, guess what? I am the father's favorite. God, uh, dad loves me more than he loves you guys. And the last thing is this, is he had a series of dreams. We won't read the scriptures. We'll, maybe we'll read one of them. But he had a series of dreams that revealed that one day he'd be the prime minister. One day people would bow down to him. And so Joseph started relating those dreams of superiority to his brothers. And he's letting his brothers know, you know what? Not only in this household am I the favorite, but one day I'm going to be Nash, the national favorite. One day everybody's going to bow down to me. One day everybody's going to follow me. And the scripture says his brothers, his brothers hated him even, even more and so you look at this, you, we'll, look, we'll read one scripture, then we'll move on. Genesis 37, 10 and 11. But when he told it to his father, speaking of the dream, when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come bow ourselves to the, green, uh, to the, to the ground before you? And his brothers, watch this, and his brothers are jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. In other words, Jacob was, he was overindulgent to Joseph. Joseph was a spoiled child. Joseph was a prideful child. Joseph was an arrogant child. And so, and this, this happens when parents do not distribute the love equally. But, but when you look at this, you realize that Jacob was also a passive dad. The scripture says he just kept these sayings in his mind. Passive parenting ran in their family. In other words, Jacob never got involved in the family. Jacob was that guy that said, I'm too busy, I'm too stressed, I don't have time. And as a result of that, when things went down in the family, Jacob was the one that turned his head. Jacob was the one that ignored it. Jacob never got involved. Fact is, it, it upset him, but it says that he kept these things in his mind. In other words, he never dealt, he never dealt with the issues in his family. The third and the last thing that Joseph overcame was this is Joseph was able to overcome his family's influence. Joseph overcame his family's influence. Listen, I, it is difficult to grow up to be faithful to God if you grow up in a, in, in a dysfunctional family. But I'm telling you, it can be done. My family, just real quickly, dysfunctional. And there's some things that ran all the way generation after generation after generation in my family. One of them was family splits and broken relationships. I'll never forget, I, 
um, when I was um, I was in the fourth grade. My grandparents were celebrating their their fiftieth wedding anniversary at, at their church in the Fellowship Hall, uh, Park Place Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. And uh, my my mom's sisters, she had two sisters and a brother. They had planned the whole deal, fiftieth wedding anniversary, pretty big deal, right? Uh, we're there, and and my favorite aunt, Aunt Yvonne, and Uncle Edward, and and you know my cousin Larry was like a hero to me. He was like four years older than me, so she was a cool aunt. She was my favorite aunt. And so I, I, I loved Aunt Yvonne. Spent two weeks of summer at her house. Her kids spent two weeks at our house. So we, we, we did life together. And so at the close of, of the, the 50th wedding anniversary, uh, people are still milling around. My aunt, Aunt Yvonne, my favorite, stands up on a table and says, uh, says may I have your attention? And she says, we want to tell you guys thank you for coming, but I have an announcement to make. She turns and looks at my grandparents who are, you know, in a tux and a, a formal gown, and it's just a really cool, cool time. And she looks at them, and she says, I am no longer your sister. I am, and then points to us. I'm no longer your brother. I'm no longer your sister. I'm sorry, points to her parents and says, I'm no longer your daughter. From this point on, I will never, ever have anything to do with you. I'm no longer a part of this family. So I'm telling you, nobody from this family ever contact me again. And I sat there as a fourth grade boy. I watched my favorite aunt and uncle and my favorite cousins walk out the door of that fellowship hall. It marked me. It marked me. I'm telling you. It is difficult to grow up and be faithful to God when you come out of a dysfunctional family, but I can tell you this, it is, it is possible. And I know this morning I'm talking to people today that were raised in divisive, abusive families, unbelieving families. Those who left, like me, left on you impressions and you have scars and insecurities and you can develop self-hatred and doubt and fear of failure. And those are not easy to overcome. But I can tell you, in Christ, your family origin does not have to determine your future. And sometimes we have to come to that place to where we just break free of the, uh, of the past. And we, kick, we quit blaming our parents and our grandparents for our imperfections with lame excuses. And there, there comes a time when we grow up and we take responsibility for our own actions. The same as you cannot drive a car looking in a rearview mirror or you will crash. The same is true in life. That there comes a time when you have to break free from the dysfunction of your past to live the life that God has called you to live. Over the next seven weeks, we're just simply going to walk through Joseph's life to see how he did that. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?